Excellent. Well, welcome everybody to the Enduring Love Marriage Seminar. My name is C.B. Etter. I'm the senior pastor of Christ Community Church. We want to welcome all of you here, and especially those of you who might be with us for the very first time as a church family. We are so grateful you're here, and uh, we are just believing God that this is going to be a real sweet treat to you as uh, we hear from Tim Shorey, who's our Northeast Regional Leader in our family of churches that we're a part of, Sovereign Grace Churches. Tim and his wife, Gaylene, have been married 39 years. In fact, next January will be their 40th, which is very exciting. Yes, yes, and looking forward to uh, hearing just the the wisdom from God's Word from a man and a woman who have uh, have been married and have walked through many trials throughout their marriage and have found God faithful. And uh, one other just little highlight that I want to point out is uh, today is my uh, stepfather-in-law Jerry's 83-year-old birthday. It's a special day. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jerry. Happy birthday to you. We love this guy, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, I thought what an example. You know, here he is, you know, just here to learn and to grow. And it's a real example to us, Jerry. And and also, just to point out to all of us, before we just pray and open up our, open up our time and welcome Tim up, no matter where you're at here, coming in here this morning, remember the mercy, and the faithfulness, and the goodness of God. Uh, He is an awesome God who sent his own son, Jesus Christ, down to die on the cross for sinners so that anyone in here who repents of their sins and trusts in him might be forgiven of their sins. There's hope in here this morning because we serve a Savior who is risen, who's alive, a living God who's able to help our marriages with exactly where they're at right now. And so let us open up in prayer and ask for God's help on all of our lives, all of our marriages. Let us commit this time to the Lord, and then we'll bring Tim forward. God, I just thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. Thank you for this seminar. I pray that our marriages would endure. We think of the young couples here who are engaged, some of them. Couples who have been married uh, longer than even Tim and Gaylene who are here. We are so grateful for all the marriages in our church. And we thank you, Almighty God, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I pray if there's anybody here who has not repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they would do so this morning at the marriage seminar, that they would come to you, Jesus, and find that you are a Savior who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray you would give your rest to some here this morning, maybe even for the first time. And Lord, for those of us who have been believers for for maybe even many years, would you please infuse our lives with fresh hope this morning in the risen Christ? Would you please infuse every marriage here with fresh hope and fresh love and let our love for one another as husbands and wives be enduring love that would shine forth the power of your gospel to this lost and dying world, so desperately in need of seeing Jesus. I pray that you would do all this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we welcome Tim Shorey as he comes and brings God's word to us?
Good morning. I had to look at my watch because our church service in Drexel Hill at Risen Hope, we start at 11.45. I don't get up to preach until 12.30, so I'm always, in, I'm always saying good morning when it's really good afternoon. And so where am I? What time is it? Good morning. It's uh, good to be here and is a, uh, a pleasure, a, an honor, um, and a humbling thing to be here uh, to talk with you today about marriage and God's design for it, God's intention in it. I uh, want you to know up front that um, as Galen and I are here, we're very conscious of the fact that we are uh, frail and fallible and full of weakness ourselves. We don't come as experts. Uh, we are certainly experienced. That doesn't make us experts. Uh, we are old, but that doesn't make us wise. Uh, the The reality is that... Um, you know, our life together in marriage has been one, as, as CB alluded to a minute ago, one uh, in which there have been lots of sorrows, lots of trials, lots of challenges. Uh, it's not been a smooth sail. We have a deep love for each other, but it's been in the context of many tears and much brokenness. Physical afflictions that have uh, been with us for well over half of our married life together. We've had a daughter born with significant uh, physical challenges that have been a lifelong sorrow. We've had a son, 22-year-old son with cancer, uh, who we all almost lost. We have children who are not believers, though uh, for the most part in good relationship with us, but still not knowing Christ. We've had children in faraway places spiritually. Uh, it's not been a perfect ride. It's not been uh, a life of ease or uh, perfect wisdom all the way through. And we still, you know, as 83 and you're here for a marriage ser- seminar, you know, we're still learning yeah. as well. We're still seeking more of what God's will is and God's way is. Uh, so we're all in this together. We're not here you know, trying to be something that we're not or come across as something that we're not. Uh, we're, we're followers of Jesus um, who are, by the grace of God, trying to, trying to live as faithfully as we can and as wisely as we can. And if some of that spills over here today, then that will be a gift from, from the Lord. Uh, but I'm very conscious of, of my need as we begin this morning. So I'd like to pray. I know we've already prayed, but I'd just like to ask the Lord myself for for grace here. Father, um, this is um, this is sacred business that we're about here. We are we are talking about something as we're going to see in just a few moment moments, something that is profoundly sacred. Uh, marriage, Lord, is about something more than marriage. Uh, it, is, it is a holy thing. It is a sacred thing. Um, and so, Lord, we want to honor You and honor marriage. And uh, we want our words to be true. We want our thoughts to accurately reflect Your Word. We want our understanding uh, to be shaped by your truth. Um, We don't need human words or human thoughts or human ideas. Uh, We need you to speak to us. So Lord, will you please come and uh, minister to us through your word uh, here here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what we're going to do is uh, in the first session, we're going to uh, just think together about the meaning and significance of marriage itself. What What is God's design for it? Uh, why has He designed it the way He has? And what is it really ultimately all about? Uh, and then in our second session, we're going to zero in a bit on, on the role of husbands and uh, what makes a good husband so to speak. And then in our third session, we're going to uh, talk about 
the role of wives and just in general terms, see how all of this fits together um, it, as God has designed it. And we will uh, hopefully have time for uh, some Q&A, not, not after the first session, but after the second and third uh, session. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how God leads us along here. But that's, that's the plan. That's the map as we, as we move forward. So, you know, uh, it was uh, not that long ago I, I went to a couple of news sites and I just looked at headlines. Uh, just wanted to see what the headlines of the day uh, and I looked over a couple of days what the headlines of a couple of days were. And here, here were the headlines uh, that week. Gunman murders estranged wife. Mother accused of stabbing and dismembering her children. Teacher claims parents knew of her sexual relationship with their son. Gorilla versus boy. Remember that episode where the Gorilla was shot to save the boy. Uh, gorilla versus boy. Question. What's the priority? Director resigns over transgender directive. Parents leave seven-year-old son in woods as punishment. JFK love letter to mistress for sale. Brangelina ending in divorce. Ugliest divorces of all time. Those were the headlines. Just over the space of a couple of days, a number of weeks ago. And we could, of course, create a lot of headlines of our own, I suspect, coming out of our own marriages and our own families, husband and wife in a yelling match, parents and teens slam doors, wife considers divorce, husband and father checks out in front of television. You know, we could, we could go on and on with our own set of headlines. We're, we're in a time, right? We're in a time. Uh, in which there are multiple forces assaulting our marriages. Uh, Many of them come from within, our own sinful inclinations, our own pride, our own selfishness, our own lust, our own desires, much from within, but much from without as well. Our culture is attacking. Our culture at many levels is attacking Marriage and, and so we really do need to take a step back. We need to say, all right, Lord, living God, we need your truth. Living God, we need your word. We, we clearly are not getting it here as human beings. The way we are thinking, the way we are functioning is leading to massive dysfunctionality within our marriages, within our parenting relationships with our children. Lord, please talk to us. Please tell us a better way. And, and I would suggest to you that one of the clearest, most beautiful expressions of the better way that we find anywhere is in Ephesians chapter 5. This is going to be our text for the day. Uh, nothing original there. I mean, if I were to ask you what's the classic biblical text on marriage, 90% of you would say Ephesians chapter Five. So, not trying to be original or clever here. Let's just go back to the book. Let's go back to the text. So, it's Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22 down through the end of the chapter. And this, this is God's Word. This is the Word of the living God spoken to us. This is God speaking to us. That's how we ought to think and feel when we're reading the Bible. This is God speaking to us. So hear the voice of God right now. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we look at this text, as we begin, what I want us to do is to get the the big picture. I want us to think about the real meaning and mystery of marriage, and then we'll go down into some of the details of it. You know, often what happens when you start thinking about marriage, when you start thinking about relationships, is that you can get stuck in the details of it. You can You know, well, what about this? Or how do we handle this problem? How do we handle that problem? All those kind of nitty-gritty questions and concerns. And I think it's helpful to take a step back and say, okay, what's the big picture? What is is it all about? And then move into the details. So what is it all about? Here's my answer. Here's, and, and there's no outline for this session, I don't think, in your, in your notes there, but hopefully you can just kind of follow along. Um, Here's the the main point. Marriage is about Jesus. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. Let me me repeat that, that. If you don't take anything else home with you today, I want you to take this home with you. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. This is the big picture of marriage. This is the mystery that is revealed that every single one of us needs to understand. It's it's the mystery of marriage that every single one of us needs to find our deepest joy, our most enduring security in. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. If you look at the text, it breaks down into uh, three sections, really. Verses 22 through 24, Paul has some words to wives. Then in verses 25 through 30, some words to husbands. And then in verses 31 and 32, he has some words for everybody. Specifically for every believer. This is... This is a text that teaches us, verses 31 and 32, that every one of us who believes in Jesus is, and I don't mean to be cliched or trite, but is in a relationship. Every one of us who believes in Jesus is in a marriage relationship with Jesus in which He secures us with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. So let's notice two things about this as we get started. God's design for marriage, and then God's reason for marriage. What He wants marriage to be, and then why He wants it that way. So His design and His reason. First, let's notice God's design for marriage. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. You probably know that's a quote from Genesis chapter 2. Almost word for word. Way back at the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden. Where it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. This is God's design. This is God's pattern. 
His original intent and purpose, marriage as it was meant to be. And you notice that there are three parts to it, right? Marriage as designed by God, first of all, has a relational adjustment. There's a relational adjustment. Where do you get that, Tim? You get it from what it says. A man shall leave his father and his mother. There's a relational adjustment going on in the man's life. There's a radical change that's happening that's occurring in a man and a woman's relationship with mom and dad. He leaves his father and mother. There is a usually geographical relocation and there certainly is an emotional relational relocation. He is now no longer relating to dad and mom in quite the same way as he did before. And he is now making room in his family consciousness for a wife and for whatever children are to come. There's a relational adjustment. We could go into all kinds of details, practical details as to what that looks like, what that means. Don't have time for that, but just notice there is supposed to be a relational adjustment. I'm I'm not supposed to relate to my dad and mom the same way after marriage as I did before marriage. Something changes. A new priority. A new commitment has to take place. So a relational adjustment. Secondly, marriage involves a covenantal commitment. So a relational adjustment and then a covenantal Commitment. What does the text say? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. That is actually referring to a covenantal bond. uh, A sealing or a gluing together of the man and the wife in a commitment. It's marriage is intended to be something like human crazy glue where you have you have this coming together and this securing in an enduring bond together. And it's important to keep in mind here, and this is all just kind of foundational, but there's a point to it. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that this holding fast has a covenant component to it. In fact, this word holding fast in the Old Testament uh, is used for covenant relationship with God. We are to hold fast to Him. Marriage is a holding fast. It is a securing. It is a covenant. It is a vow. The most important part of every wedding, the essential part of every wedding, is the vow. That's actually what makes A man and a woman, husband and wife. It's not the declaration of the pastor. It's it's the vow. It's the covenant. It's the commitment. Marriage is for life. Marriage is a holding fast. And it's secured with a covenant. So Paul could say in Romans 7, a married woman is bound by law to her husband. There is God's law, there is moral law, there, there, and there is even legal law, if you can put it that way, civil law. There, you know, bound to husband, bound to wife. There is a holding fast. Marriage is a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman covenanted before God. Covenanted before God. Now, that doesn't mean that when the man and the woman make their vows, they understand what they're saying. Not a single one of us did. We were almost clueless. Not completely clueless. Mostly clueless. Mostly. We had no idea. I was 19, Galene 20 when we got married. We knew we were committing to each other. We knew it was for life. But we had no idea what in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. We had no idea what that really, fully, deeply meant. It didn't mean it wasn't a covenant. It just meant it was a a covenant that we were going to grow into. 
It was, it was a, it was a covenant. It was binding. Uh, but, uh, we didn't quite get it yet. You, you, you learn it. Nobody understands the covenant fully when they get into it. And nobody keeps it perfectly once they are in it. Because in one way or another, we have not always loved the way we promised to love. We have not always cared the way we promised to care. A covenant does not suggest perfect love. It does suggest persevering love. A covenant does not imply perfect compliance. It does imply enduring commitment. A covenant doesn't suggest that it will erase all problems and failures, but it does promise that it will outlast all problems and failures. Did you, did you hear that? A covenant is not saying, I'm going to be perfect, you're going to be perfect. A covenant is saying, I'm going to be with you even when you're not perfect. And we're going to outlast any problems, any challenges that come our way. There was a study done by the University of Chicago a number of years ago where they studied couples uh, that were unhappy in their marriages. And there was two groups in the in the study. One of the groups opted to stay married though they were going through crisis and relational crisis. And the other group opted for divorce. And then they came back 10 years later, 12 years later, and, and examined both groups and found out that those that opted to stick it out and work their way through it were far happier than those who had divorced. And the, the outcome, this is a secular, non-Christian uh, study, the, the conclusion they drew was the, the secret to a happy marriage is not having no problems, but outlasting the problems. That was their words, outlasting the problems. Enduring through the difficulty. Covenant marriage is a commitment to stick it out over the long haul no matter what comes your way. Let me qualify. Because in a broken world, uh, this qualification is needed. Um, this does not mean, and I want you all to hear this, this does not mean that you're in an, if you're in an abusive context, this does not mean that if your husband is physically or verbally abusing you and, and, and tearing you down physically or otherwise in a way that is destructive to you or to your children, it does not mean you have to stay in that home, in that context and be subjected to that, there, there, there is such a thing in Scripture as self-defense. There is such a thing as, as the preservation of life, especially of children's lives. But so, I, I, we just need to say this. We just need to say this because the Bible's teaching about enduring love has been distorted by many Christians. Uh, to leave room for abusive husbands to go on abusing their wives and kids and with no recourse or safety for the wife, the mom. That is just not faithful to God's Word. Um, uh, the value of life uh, is, is high in God's heart, uh, and it must be in ours as well. So if you're in a situation like that, please don't hear me. Don't hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying stay in that context, let it happen. No, I would say get help. Make sure it stops happening. And there are things you can do through your pastors, through the church, sometimes even legally, things you can do to make it stop. So please hear that. But if that's not your context, if that's not your your crisis and your burden, um, and you're just in the type of marriage that everybody else is in, you know, where there's ups and there's downs and there's arguments and there's fights and there's disagreements. The, the Bible says it's a covenantal commitment. You're in it for the long haul. You 
You outlast those things and stay faithful to it. So marriage is, first of all, a relational adjustment. Leave father and mother. It's a covenantal commitment. Hold fast to your wife. And third, it's an identity attachment. It's an identity attachment. Paul says, the two shall become one. In other words, when I got married, my identity became attached to Galen's identity. It was no longer just Tim. It was Tim and Galen. It was two becoming one. The divine institution of marriage is designed to lead to a profound, deep identity realignment and attachment in which two people no longer see themselves as separate individuals, separate islands of human existence, but as a unified one with another human unit before God. The two shall become one. There is this identity attachment. So, these three things are what make marriage in the sight of God. There's first of all a relational adjustment. Leave father and mother. New priority of relationship is wife, is husband. There is secondly, uh, my mind just is going blank. What is it? Uh, there is a covenantal commitment. Hold fast. Hold fast. And then there is an identity attachment or realignment. The two become one flesh. That's God's plan for marriage. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, let's look at God's reason for marriage. Why did God design marriage this way? What was God's motivation? And this is what I want us to see in verses 31 and 32 again. Look at the, look at the text and just hear God's word here. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All right. Paul, you're confusing us here. What, what exactly are you saying, Paul? Let's, let's, catch, let's catch it here. For several verses, Paul seems to be teaching us about human marriage. He's helping us to see how, how to be better husbands, how to be better wives. Uh, it leads to this wonderful summary of marriage in verse 31. Man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. They become uh, one flesh. And then all of a sudden, Paul throws us this massive curve curveball at us and says, here's a mystery. In other words, here's a truth that up until this moment when he was writing it hadn't been revealed yet. This was hidden. This was, this was like a, almost a secret. Here, he said, here's the mystery. You know those words that I just said, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. You know that quote from Genesis chapter 2? Paul saying, it's not really about marriage at all. It is about Christ and His church. In other words, way back in Genesis 2, the first gospel text anywhere in the Bible is Genesis 2 and verse 21, I think it is. A man shall leave father and mother, cleave or hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You say, how is that a gospel text? Paul says, it's about Christ and the church. In other words, it's a picture of the love of Jesus for the church. It's, it's meant to reveal to us how much God in Christ loves us. Human marriage, the meaning of marriage and the mystery of marriage is not, you know, the mystery of that woman who I can't understand, or, or the yeah, no, the the mystery of marriage is that ultimately it's not about marriage at all. 
It's about the love of God. God created marriage to be a picture, to be a lived out, living, high definition portrayal of His love for us. God didn't make marriage and then years later say, you know what, oh, you know what, how can I illustrate my love for them? Oh, it's kind of like a husband and a wife loving each other. No, it was the other way around. God loved us from before time. God had chosen us from before time. And in creation, He said, how can I create something that will show human beings my love for them. What can I, what can I create? What kind of relationship can I create that will show people the, the commitment and the endurance and the faithfulness of my love? Oh, let me create marriage. And in creating marriage, bringing Adam and Eve together, he was proclaiming the gospel. He was proclaiming his love for us. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. That the design of marriage, man shall leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife, become one flesh, is meant to reveal Jesus' love to us. So let's think about it. Jesus' love for us, and this is, you know, this is just, This is the heart of it all. And I give this message first because I want you to get this gospel first and we can build all the other stuff on it. Um, Jesus' love for us involves three things. First of all, a relational adjustment. Jesus left His Father. Did you hear that? Jesus, who had dwelt forever, in John's words, in the bosom of the Father, at the Father's side. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, equal with God, equal with the Father. One in glory, one in majesty, one in love. Jesus left His Father's side. Jesus entered into our world. Jesus came after us. Jesus came after us to such a degree and left His Father's side to such a degree that on the cross, bearing our sins, bearing our curse, He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Jesus left the Father's side and on the cross in one sense. I'm not exactly sure how to, how to express this. I don't want to get into heresy. But in one sense, He left the Father's love and felt the Father's wrath. I understand in the Trinity, the love is unending. But He felt the Father's displeasure. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? There was a relational adjustment. He left His Father's side. And and now has made us the object of His love to, to enter into, if you will, the, the, the circle of love that the Trinity has enjoyed forever. We are now a part of that. We are now a part of the family of God. We, we now share in the love of the triune God that they enjoyed. The fam- There's a relational adjustment. He left His Father's side to draw us up into His Father's love, to draw us up into His love. Marriage is meant to, when a man leaves father and mother, the text is telling us, it's meant to remind us that we have a Savior and a husband of our souls who left His Father for us. And then there is a covenantal Commitment. How has God in Christ loved us? With a covenant of love. He has vowed His love. 
to us. He has vowed His faithfulness to us. Ezekiel 16, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. This is God speaking. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. You became mine. Speaking of His bride, our Lord says in Hosea 2, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband. And I will make for you a covenant. On that day, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God in Christ has bound Himself to us. In a covenant relationship, Jesus has a love for us that will outlast all our issues. He has a love for us that will outlast all our problems, all our infidelities, all our sins. There is, there is no, He loves me, He loves me not with Jesus. Jesus who cannot lie, Jesus who cannot change His mind, Jesus who cannot go back on His Word, has vowed his everlasting love to us. He left His Father. He is holding fast to us. And so there is a relational adjustment. There is a covenantal commitment. And there is also an identity attachment. He has become one with us. We have become one with Christ. We are members of His body. The whole book of Ephesians in the first three chapters is about our union with Christ. All that it means to be in Christ. And this is, you know, folks, I, um, I, I would dare to say that what it means to be in Christ or our union with Christ defines what it means to be a Christian. We are chosen in Christ. We are loved in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. We are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. We are in Him, in union with Him. Jesus has identified Himself with us. He allows us to identify ourselves with Him. There is this, this relational, this identity adjustment. Jesus no longer just thinks of Himself in the Godhead. He thinks of Himself in relationship to us. And this is what marriage is about. Marriage, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2 said. The man needs some help. That's what the point is there. The man needs some help. I will give him a helper suitable for him. We'll get to that later. Um, But that's not ultimately what it's about. What it's about is God saying, the day is going to come when my son is going to leave me to rescue them. The day is going to come when in covenant love we are going to hold fast to my people. And the day is going to come when my son and and his bride, the church, are going to be one. There's going to be an identity attachment. And they will be one forever. That's what marriage is about. Now, what does it matter? Well, my friends, it matters everything. It, it, it matters everything just for your own, your own existence. <laughs> Um, it certainly matters if you're a husband or wife. It matters because this, this, this does make marriage more sacred, doesn't it? 
It's not just about how do we make this work. No, this is how do we make this reflect the love of God? Um, how do we, how does, our, how can we, with the help of God, create a marriage that at least somewhat accurately dramatizes and portrays the love that God has for us? Yeah, it elevates marriage up into the heavens. But at an even more basic level, it defines and secures and blesses and gladdens our hearts. Years ago, I read about a um, an event in India uh, where there were a number of women, several hundred women, who all on the same day were getting a, their names changed. The name that they had been given at birth was Nakusha. Uh, The name means unwanted. See, in India, at least in many parts of India, uh, what is wanted is a boy. Uh, And when the child born is not a son, but is a daughter, very, very often the parents will give her the name unwanted, Nakusha. And, and the Indian government realized, you know, that this is just not good. This is, and so they actually created a law where, whereby women could change their names. And they changed their names to all different kinds of things. But imagine being unwanted, being named unwanted, Nakusha. Imagine being Nakusha. How many in this room, perhaps at some point or another, have felt like they were Nakusha, unwanted, unwanted by God, unwanted by others, just alone and and neglected and overlooked? God says, there are no Nakushas. I have loved you so much. Jesus says that I left my Father. I left Him all the way to the cross to die for your sins. I left my Father and I'm holding fast to you. And my identity is now connected to yours. You and me, we're together forever. Jesus says. Friends, there is in life, this goes way beyond and deeper than marriage, doesn't it? There is in life, experience after experience in which we may feel forsaken, feel alone, feel unloved. Well, I'm here to tell you today, there is a man, there is a real man, the eternal Son of God made flesh, who has loved you from before time, has loved me from before time. There is a man, there is a true man, who is the king of all the realms of men and of angels. And this man, this Perfect man left his father's side and his father's favor to hold fast to you in covenant love and to make you one with him forever. There, there is a man to whom you are married if you are a child of God and will be joined throughout all of life and through endless ages of eternity. There is a man, the God man, who is going to hold fast to you and hold us to himself no matter what. When you are weary, he will hold you fast. When you are forsaken and alone and underappreciated, he will hold you fast. When you are unsure of who you are and whose you are, he will hold you fast. When your marriage cools, He will hold you fast. When your children wander to a far off place spiritually, He will hold you fast. When you sin, still again, He will hold you fast. When your spouse fails, when your spouse neglects you, when your spouse disappoints you, when your spouse breaks your heart, when he or she dies, He will still hold you fast. When the ache is deep, when the nights are long, He will hold you fast. When you are lonely, He will hold you fast. When you're rejected, He will hold you fast. When you are bereaved and grieving, He will hold you fast. When you are abandoned, if you are abused, He will hold you fast. When your heart is screaming its pain, 
He will hold you fast when you weep and you fear and you despair and all of life and its relationships start to fade to black. Know this. He left His Father. Came here to find you and to make you His own. And has covenanted His love to hold you fast to Himself forever and ever. You are secure. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the ultimate marriage. And everything here represented in this room is but a dim reflection of that. Marriage is about Jesus who has forever secured us to Himself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. This is where we must begin and this is where we must stay through the thick and the thin, through the brokenness and the struggles and the challenges of life and of marriage. Here is our security. Here is where we are held fast. Here is what we can depend on. He is what we can, who we can depend on. May God give us grace to know we are being held fast. We need to hold fast to Him. But far more importantly is this. He is holding fast to us. Let's pray. Father, if nothing else is gained today, may we take these things home with us. For here is joy. Here is security. Here is hope. Here is confidence. Here is assurance. That our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, has forever secured Himself. That You, our God and Savior, have forever secured us to Yourself with a never-to-be-broken covenant of love. May every heart here know the security of the absolute, the faithful, the unfailing love of God in Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.